the free for all roundtable round two Jerry Agar in for John Moore. We're hopeful he will be back tomorrow. Joining me on round two, lawyer, professor, activist, Pamela Palmatier. Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate, Real Estate Association, and children's music teacher, Michelle Morrow. So thing that, um, let's start with this. Mark Tui was just mentioning it. The province wants to take over all of Ontario Place, and there's a chunk of land there, which apparently kind of parking lots, but but it's a chunk of land that is owned by the city of Toronto and the province wants to make a deal or they'll, they will expropriate it. Um, you've worked in this kind of politics, Tim Hudak. It feels to me like, uh, this is the way I put it to Shelley Carroll earlier this morning, the 800 pound gorilla says to the monkey, make a deal with us or we'll steal it. <laughs> yeah, very, all, all the bananas are mine. Um, look, uh, we need to get moving uh, on this uh, on this project. You know, Hopefully a good civil discussions and negotiations will take place. There'll be some trade-offs maybe in other areas, but if not, we got to get moving. I, I actually was a minister responsible for Ontario Place and the Science Centre at a point in time. Years ago, they were already in decline. This is an opportunity, Jerry, to have a new flagship attraction for the City of Toronto and the province of Ontario featuring the, the water park, a, a new stage, a brand new science This is exciting. And if you want to have a poster child for how government fails to provide services and how they deteriorate over time. Look at Ontario Place. I mean, that's been sitting there abandoned for some time. Let's get moving. Yeah, I bet you've never taken your kids there, Michelle. Oh, definitely not. I don't I don't even know the last time I was there, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think I think what Tim said is right. Like, they really do need to get moving. Unfortunately, Toronto has a history of, like, having great ideas and then nothing ever happening. Look at our subway system as a perfect example. But I do, I agree with what you said about the gorilla, because it's hard to negotiate uh, in good faith when you know that at any point someone can pull the rug out from underneath you. But hopefully, uh, whoever's at the table for Toronto fights hard and they are able to get what they think they deserve for that land. Pamela, how does it look to you? Wow. <laughs> well, basically, it's not truly a negotiation. If you said, I'm taking it anyway, so negotiate. I mean, there's all kinds of legal arguments that they could make in court. I I'm obviously not their legal counsel, so that's up to the city of Toronto. But I, I mean, if you're truly interested in negotiating, then have a negotiation. If you're just going to expropriate it, then expropriate it with... Uh, proper compensation just make a decision all right so um there's a story here from trillium.ca bonnie crombie's last campaign bonnie crombie the mayor of mississauga who was running for leadership of the liberals her last campaign raised tens of thousands of dollars from developers i guess this is a story tim hudak because the the liberals seem to always want to um go after doug ford uh, in his cozy relationship they say with developers i have a, a couple of questions here first of all w when did we decide that developers had to be characterized all the time as evil i don't know who's supposed to build everything otherwise and uh, but it does it matter that uh, in the midst of all of this bonnie crombie is also cozying up so to speak to the developers 
Yeah, I mean, a couple things, Jerry. First and foremost, you're absolutely right. We need to have a positive, constructive relationship with people who are going to build the homes we're going to need. If we want to keep the Canadian dream of home ownership alive for average, hardworking Canadians, you need to be in partnership with those that are going to build the homes, because Lord knows if government did it, Jerry, it would take forever and fall apart within a year. With respect to the, um, is this a is this a bad thing for, for Bonnie Crombie? No. I, I believe in a campaign finance system that is paid for by donors. You put clearly, you know, up transparently who made the donations. People can make their conclusions as long as there is transparency, some sunlight in. I remember being in opposition, leader of the opposition to Queen's Park, and would regularly rail about the cozy relationship between Dalton McGinty or Kathleen Wynne and big developers. This is just part of opposition politics. you got to hold governments accountable. But for some reason, the, the, you know, the liberals are mean from this. Quite the opposite. Pamela? It's uh, as long as I can see who's donating to who, then I can assess that candidate about what relationships they prioritize, what their policies are, who's greasing whose wheels, and then I can make my own decision as long as it's always fully reported and transparent. I'm totally with you on that. I don't think there should be campaign limits. Uh, I think the only rule should be that there has to be a full, accurate, and immediate list, Michelle, of who's doing the donating to whom. Yeah, I actually found it really interesting to look at the article and see where money was coming from. And uh, because I'm I'm not inside politics, I really hope that... uh, just because someone donates to you doesn't mean you're going to give them whatever they want. Like, I really do believe that you take money and then you try to work with people, but it doesn't mean you're going to give everything to these people. But you have to admit that, or you have to be aware when you're taking in donations of how it could look. So as long as they go into it, go into that relationship like that and being like, just because you gave me doesn't, money doesn't mean I'm going to give you what you want, then I'm fine with it. Fascinating story out of Saskatchewan uh, where there was a back and forth by text between uh, a grain buyer and a farmer. In this case, it was uh, flax and the, the buyer was offering a, a certain price per bushel and uh, was looking for suppliers and one farmer that uh, he had worked with in the past. They were going back and forth and uh, agreeing on a price and agreeing on a delivery time. And then the the buyer sent a contract and the farmer sent back a thumbs up emoji. Well, then it came time and he didn't deliver. He could get more money somewhere else. It all went to court. And the judge said, and Pamela, you're a lawyer, the judge said the thumbs up emoji sent back in response to the contract is an indication you've accepted the contract. This guy now owns owes the buyer eighty two thousand dollars. Yeah, that this one is a little bit strange for me. I get the old school handshake, and now we're in social media emoji land. Um, maybe it's because previously what they'd done is texted instead of having contracts. They're like, "Yep, okay, good. Yep." You know, and and that that's how it proceeded. I think that's more of the context than just the emoji itself. But boy, I would be very, very worried about a text from you don't know who's actually doing the text. You can't prove who's doing the text and an emoji. It could be. Yeah. okay, we'll talk later. Um, I that that concerns me. I can't imagine that would stand at a court of higher level. Well, you mentioned the handshake. Is that a legal agreement if you shook on it? 
Well, it, yeah, there's this kind of old informal, you know, like between farmers or anyone else here, here's a handshake as long as both parties understand what the terms are and they've come to the agreement and they've exchanged their consideration and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, those are the kinds of things that have, you know, people have gone to court over, which is the whole reason why you kind of want stuff in writing. But people like people still do, especially the older generation, still do handshake agreements. All right. But Michelle, if I send you a text and say my kid wants music lessons and you send me a thumbs up emoji, my kid's getting music lessons. Oh, yeah. I found this case fascinating. I love how uh, laws and the interactions between people and contracts can change so much. And especially because at one point texting was seen as like um, so unprofessional and it was just something kids did. And now to see that it's grown to, to a point where we're talking about contract law, I, I'm such a nerd. I think this is really, really cool. All right. Tim, but I know for my. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. That's OK. <laughs> No, I was going to say for myself is that if, like what you said, if someone sends me a message, then I make sure that I respond with like a date and a time and I make sure I get a firm confirmation. Maybe this just means going forward, you have to actually put effort into the conversation and say, I want to see this contract or do something that's less vague than just a thumbs up. All right, Tim Hudak, now you're with the Ontario Real Estate Association. So um, you're selling your house, Tim, and uh, I write to you and say, I'll buy it for such and such. And you just think it's nice that I'm participating. You send me a, uh, a thumbs up emoji. I bought your house, apparently. <laughs> that's why That's why you got to use a realtor. That's why you got to use a professional. Put up, and we got some okay. outstanding ones across the province in every city, town, and village. Yeah, uh, look, it, 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 uh, there you go. It, it obviously depends uh, on the circumstances. And, and to me, it looks like the court carefully scrutinized that there is a previous relationship here that it accepted contracts with short forms like OK or, you know, uh, here we go, whatever in the future. I think this reinforces be judicious with your use of emojis the right place at the right time but as somebody who you know signs contracts regularly as ceo uh, of aria man you just got to be careful what you put your signature to and i think these people made a mistake by doing the thumbs up after they had that existing relationship all right so i've been going back and forth with people this morning including the minister responsible this new deal has been put together with stellantis they had a deal for about a billion dollars from the province and the feds to build a factory and build batteries uh, in the windsor area and then they found out about this new deal the U.S. has, so they went back, Stellantis went back on their deal, and now they're getting $15 billion. Um, some people are excited about it. We're getting business. We're getting jobs. I think the taxpayer is always hosed in these deals. Michelle, what do you think? It really frustrates me that, going back to contract law, that, that companies can sort of, to me, it seems like they broke a contract. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I will defer to Pamela for that. But from the outside, we had a deal. And you can't just renegotiate halfway through the deal. But on the other hand, I grew up in Oshawa. And when GM was booming, the town was booming. And when GM went through a slump, it really affected it. So I understand how much the Vic Fidelli and the government really wanted to make sure they were able to provide these jobs. But I don't know if it was at too high of a cost. Yeah. And when we gave loans to GM, did we get the money back? I don't, I think, I, I don't know. I will nah. defer again. I don't know. Don't think so. Uh, well, Pamela, how do you look at this then as a lawyer? Well, I look at it as in many situations, uh, you can make an agreement with someone and break it. You can hire someone and fire them because just because there's rules around, okay, well, here are the potential consequences and there could be a court case and all that other stuff in big business agreements are made and broken all the time what stage of the agreement was it at was it fully inked was it detailed like all of that stuff really matters 
My concern, however, uh, is the fact that I don't see any consultations done with local First Nations on their lands and their concerns about the environmental impacts or how it's going to impact their Aboriginal treaty rights. So that would be my concern over that deal. Okay, well, you can break an agreement, but then usually you pay a penalty. And there didn't, instead, what Stellantis got was a reward. I think, and I should have asked Vic Fideli about this, Tim Hudak, I know now what the province did wrong. They didn't get a thumbs up emoji. <laughs> yeah, or maybe maybe two thumbs up, and you have to double the money as a result. And that explains this. Um, yeah, look, look, Jerry, um, I, I get the politics uh, of this. Um, clearly, Stellantis has wrestled uh, the governments of Canada and Ontario uh, to the ceiling as a part of this deal. The analysis is on one side of the scale. Uh, it's going to be some very well-paying jobs and then spinoffs on suppliers, particularly in southwestern Ontario. And for the politicians involved, that's a very expensive but noteworthy cutting to talk about your economic plan. The other side of the scale, though, is where does that money come from? Well, it comes from your listeners that could have spent their tax dollars elsewhere, going to a restaurant, a vacation, and such. Small, medium-sized businesses pay taxes to subsidize the large. You know, my, my background in economics, I, I think the scale is actually not beneficial overall for the province as a whole. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Okay, well, I hope you're wrong, too, but I think coming up, uh, I'm glad you mentioned you have a degree in economics, and uh, you and I are looking at it from the same perspective, but Tim Hudak, Pamela Pomatier, Michelle Morrow. I'm Jerry Yegar. You might get John Moore back tomorrow on News Talk 1010. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010, Toronto.